Luke chapter 11. So we started last week with the, with the Lord's Prayer, and we briefly mentioned that the Lord's Prayer probably could have been called the Disciples' Prayer, and that probably would have made a little bit more sense for, uh, uh, for us, but nonetheless, it's called the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Now, two things, two sermon topics, in a sense, for churches that if, if you preach on, I think most people are going to be like, yeah, we agree. We think we said this last week. We agree we should do this more, praying and, and reading the Bible. We would all agree that these are two things that we should do more. We should have uh, uh, more of that. Uh, and we've all, for the most part, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, we've sat under sermons that have highlighted the necessity and the importance of reading the, the Bible, and absolutely is true. Uh, we've been on the receiving end of sermons about prayer and praying more. Um, and, and a lot of times what we feel when we walk out of those services almost kind of like a drive-by guilting. Um, we've we've kind of had this drive-by feeling of, the, I just kind of got punched for a while because I don't pray enough or I don't read my Bible enough. Now, that's not the point of these sermons, although if the Holy Spirit leads you in that, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of, of that, then, then praise God. I don't think that's the point of Jesus' uh, 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 his words to his, his uh, disciples and teaching them uh, uh, about, uh, about prayer. Uh, it rarely does guilt, in a sense, the, that kind of guilt, rarely does that produce the, the lasting, consistent, continual, maturing, and deepening, lively, lively prayer life that we all know we want and, and we, we, we know that we we need. We all know that we ought to, uh, we ought to pray more. Now, now, just talking about prayer, though, I, I suspect, and, and knowing from my own heart and from my own experience in hearing about prayer, is that talking about prayer just kind of shuts some of us down. We just kind of, we kind of shut down at the idea of prayer. Not because we're opposed to it, because like I said, we, we all agree, we, we like prayer, we want to pray, we're not, we're not opposed to, uh, to, to praying. We've heard countless sermons on, on, on prayer, but really, we're, we, we kind of shut down because we know we're not any good at it. And if we're not good at something, we got this in our minds, and I, I see this in my own life, and see this in other people, that if, if we're not good at something, we're not going to do it. I don't, I don't want to be near it. So um, I, I'm not good at basketball. Although I get asked, do you play basketball? My whole life. I'm not good at basketball. So I don't want to play basketball. Because people think just because I'm tall, I should be good at, I should at basketball. So Mr. Richards is like, hey, you've only played basketball with me and my friends one time. Now I know why. Right? Now I know why. I'm not any good at it. I stink. I'm, I'm terrible. Um, so prayer, prayer though, is, is not just for the spiritual elite, for those who, who, who got everything down. It's, it's for the followers of Jesus. It's for every disciple. It's for, it's for every church member. I, I heard someone say this week that, that prayer is oxygen for the exhausted sinner. Prayer is the oxygen for the exhausted sinner. So the reality is, if that's what prayer is for the sinner, as, we're, as exhausted, then who really cares if we're good at it or not? And doesn't the gospel then free us up to do things that we're not good at? 
Um, you may not know this or not, but I am no Eric Clapton on the guitar, right? And I'm, you may not know that. I'm not. And I appreciate if you think I am, but, you know, that may be flattery, but um, that's not me. And, and, and I'm, not a, I'm not an Ed Sheeran singer. And by the way, neither are any of you. That's why you're still here. All right? On, on, on the vocals. But, here's my point, but we still get together and we still can sing God's praises as good as we can. And it's still just as encouraging to hear one another sing and we still do it. We still can sing God's praises and, and, and how joyful and beautiful it is when the church sings together. I think we've, we've seen that. We've, we've felt the encouraging of us singing together. So, so we're not defined, we're, we're not to define ourselves by what we can do, but what, how we define ourselves is by God's grace. What, what often happens then is, is by God's grace, we, we then begin to grow in those things, right? Where maybe before we had absolutely no confidence in singing in public, but now you do. Right? And the same thing with prayer. We begin to, we can grow into those things together because it's by God's grace that is driving us and growing us and stirring us up and growing us on. Even things like prayer, even things like reading Scripture, we do it all for His glory. Now when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, isn't, isn't that what this prayer is all about? That it's about God's grace and God's glory and God's, God's majesty and supremacy and yet His grace and mercy and forgiveness? And then how that prayer then changes us? That's why the Bible was full of prayers, teachings on prayers and exhortations to pray. If you go back to look at the, the book of Acts and you'll see how prayer defined the church in Acts. They were unified in their prayer. They depended upon prayer. We, we can always come up with reasons why not to pray or why it's not convenient or worthwhile. I mean, I find this with myself that even when I am praying or even when maybe you're praying, isn't that when your minds are bombarded the most of things that you've got to get done and things that you have to do? But yet after you pray, aren't you glad that you did? You know, what we as a, as a church, as sovereign grace, is, and you can, you can just kind of hear it in our, in our name, what we cherish about the gospel is that it takes the focus of everything off of us and it puts it on God. It puts the, the focus on, on Him because we are not the point and we absolutely believe that it is God who makes the difference, not us. Right? Sovereign grace. same for prayer. It's about Him, and it's about us expressing how much we need Him. And when it comes down to it, are any of us really good at prayer? I mean, anybody going to raise their hand? I mean, probably not. We, I know you all. We're not, no one's going to. Wait, I mean, are we going to raise our hand and say, yeah, I'm pretty good. Spurgeon put it like this. He said, uh, Charles Spurgeon, I don't know, Charles Spurgeon. He said, a Prayer, a true prayer, is an inventory of needs, an exposure of secret wounds, and a revelation of hidden poverty. 
The simplicity of prayer. So prayer isn't meant to make us feel successful. You're not meant to, to get on your knees and then feel like you've accomplished something in a successful kind of way. It's not, it's not meant to do that. What prayer is, is it's meant to make us feel connected with the Lord's presence because we need the Lord's presence. And isn't that where, in the Lord's presence, where we start to live and feel and our heart beats and we no longer this heart of stone that once was there that was tantalized by sin, but now becomes softened by the Holy Spirit. It's in that low place before Him where our lives really get traction. They begin to move. So, so here's my thesis for today. The thesis for, for today is we need to pray. Right? So we got that, right? And we established we need to pray. But how we pray, and the way that the Lord Jesus instructed us to pray whether we know it or not, shows that we are utterly dependent upon the Lord. We need to pray, and if you want to just make that a little bit smaller, we need to pray because we need God. We need His presence. We need His person. We need Him. Let's look to Luke chapter 11, and we'll start reading again in verse 1, although we're main verses this morning is we're going to be in verses 3 and 4. We're going to read the whole thing together, uh, starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. So whenever, whenever you're praying. You're in the car, whenever you're at home, whenever you're at school, whenever you're at the altar, whether you're at the foot of your bed, wherever it may be, whenever you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. And may His Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and see this holy, inspired, inerrant word for His glory and for our joy. So this is Jesus' pro-level, varsity, Division 1A prayer for Christians. He doesn't give small he doesn't take a systematic approach, but he throws them into the deep end and says, this is how you pray. Pray like this. Hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. We said last week that it starts all with Father. And he's very intentional with starting with Father because, because God is His Father. And, and if God is His Father and Christ then reconciles us, then we become adopted and God becomes our Father. And this mention of Father isn't something that's, um, and as we kind of said that, sometimes we speak of George Washington as our, the father of our, of our country, where that's kind of impersonal. Jesus, though, is actually speaking very personal here, that he is our Abba Father, as Romans 8 and Galatians 4 tells us. That he's, our, he's our Daddy Father, and if you're not familiar, if you're not comfortable with that, call him Dearest Father. 
We are to speak to Him as, as intimate, as our adopted Father, and to pray to Him as our Dad. No longer as judge, as Him being far off, as we once were enemies, but we have been brought in close and been brought in near through the blood of Christ so that we can call Him Father. We call Him Abba, Father, and He has given us the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us he's given us the Holy Spirit so that we would be set free from this spirit of slavery, but given the Spirit as sons crying out as the Abba Father. So the Holy Spirit is given to us, bearing weight on our souls and in our hearts, that we would cry out to Him, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. Not just judge. I have a totally different relationship with my dad than I do with a judge. I don't know any judges. I'm not cool enough. But to a judge, it would be business only, man. Just tell him what, I, what he needs to know, and that's the truth, and only the truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? But to my dad, I want to I be with him. I want to talk with him. I want to do things with him. And, and Jesus is telling us that this real intimacy that we have with our father that is not ethereal and transcended, but it's here, is real. And that real intimacy changes things. And so he gives us this, the first request, hallowed be your name. We talked about this last week. And hallowed be your name, we, meaning this, when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, meaning we want God's name to be hallowed. We want His name, His reputation, and His fame to be in our lives and all around the world to be glorified, to be exalted, to be loved, to be delighted in and pursued by everyone and everywhere. That's what that means when we say, hallowed be your name. And the whole Lord's Prayer is predicated upon that one statement. It's all based in hallowed be your name. Everything that comes after that is about God's glory and his supremacy to be known throughout the nations and in our own hearts and in our own cities. So, so whatever it is that we're praying for, that we're going to come before the Lord is, what's deeper than, than our greatest need that we think that we may have, our deepest need and our deepest cry of our, of our hearts is for God to be glorified, for his name to be hallowed. And that should become the one thing that we pray for over and above everything else. That's why we said that His, his kingdom to come. Your kingdom come. Right? Which, which is saying, not my kingdom. Not, not my will, God. Not my things and my stuff and my own little world that I'm building for myself. But, but Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And then it's underneath that we get those next three requests in verses 3 and 4. So we must understand that to seek God's glory is also seeking for our own good. In these next verses, I think we're going to see that. I think sometimes we think that if we're only seeking and praying and desiring God's glory, that, that God is not really going to that maybe his glory is opposed to my good or opposed to, to, to my joy or God's care and his kindness over our, our lives. And, and that's just not true. 
when you look at verses 3 and 4, as we will do in just a second. Remember, he is the one that gives us the oxygen that we need as exhausted sinners. He is the one who does that. He doesn't have to. He didn't have to. But he has done so for his glory and for your joy. But the obvious thing that we see also in verses 3 and 4, and I've kind of been hinting at it this morning, is that we are absolutely, utterly dependent upon the Lord. You saw that in my thesis, actually. We're dependent upon the Lord. Prayer has that, as the, uh, Spurgeon said, that revelation of the hidden poverty. There's this, this, this thing that shows and is revealed of, of the real poverty of our, of our lives. We need the Lord. We need His daily care. We need His daily forgiveness. We need His daily deliverance from sin and temptation. And Jesus says, ask your benevolent Father. So first, as according to verse 3, we are dependent on bread. We are dependent on bread. Bread that is given to us by our Father. So you guys see the connection now with Ezekiel's, not Ezekiel, Exodus 16. Israel dependent for bread. And it's given to us and given to them by the Father. So in, in context with the rest of the prayer, what he's saying here is, is give me everything I need today to see your name hallowed. You see that there? Isn't it wonderful to read this in context a little bit where we can, we can see that it's not just give me what I need and move on, but, but it's about give me what I need so that I can see your name hallowed. I can see in my, my life your name is being hallowed. I can see in my church your name being hallowed. I can see at school, I can see at work your name being hallowed. Everything I do to see your name hallowed. Give me today's portion. Give me today's bread. Give me no more or no less so that I might have the strength, the grace, the energy, the ability to hallow your name in every area of my life. The actual literal reading of this verse actually goes like this, and you might actually see this in the margin of your ESV if you have an ESV this morning, is, is this. It actually is our bread of tomorrow Give us today. Our, our bread of tomorrow, give us today. And so this, this prayer is certainly about our physical needs. It, it, I mean, we, that's how we've always read it, right? We always, our, our bread is what we need, and that's like the basic, the minimal things that we, uh, that we, that we need, and may God give those things. But, but if we read it in as it's literally written, it points to something more, doesn't it? It, it? it points to asking God not just for our physical needs of today, but also of our physical and spiritual needs of tomorrow. One of the sweetest realities of Jesus asking us, or telling us, I'm sorry, telling us, ask your Father to meet your day-to-day needs of life is the great reality is that God actually cares. 
I mean, you, you see, I mean, you see, why would Jesus actually say, give me, give us our, our daily bread? Because he knows our needs will be met. Because God cares about us. Now, now, granted, it may not always come in the way that we want. And we know that. It may not come in bread and a feast. It may come as, what is that? What, what, the, what the? And sometimes it's laughable. But the Lord always meets our needs. So, so, so we can believe that if we have a need in our life, if we need a job, if we need a better job, or if we need food, or if we need health, if we need better relationships, if our, our, our car is busted, if we need a jacket, or whatever it may be, that we can pray to our Father and ask Him, Lord, I, I need these things. Would you meet my needs? Meet my needs according to how I so I will see your, your glory. That your name would be hallowed. Pray for the big things, but also pray for the little things. Right? Why would he say bread here? That's menial. That's, that's small. Because we're meant to pray for the, the little things. Think about how this one little line here, so short, so insignificant in its length, it completely challenges our culture and time that we live in right now. The culture in our time right now is they are, they are worried and exhausted and anxious because of their financial standings in this life and they don't know what their future will hold. The, the number one reason for divorce in America said by people who are getting divorced is because of finances. Think about what this verse says. There's nothing wrong with planning for your future and being wise, but it's not the thing that consumes us because our Father will give us our daily bread. So we pray for our needs. We pray for our needs, absolutely. Pray for those things. You have a, a, a need this morning? Tell your Heavenly Father. Yet, yet there's more here. And, and that is that the Lord will meet our, the spiritual bread, will give us the spiritual bread. Once again, I think he's not, um, he's using this word very intentionally, bread. I mean, what does Jesus call himself? He says, I am the, I am the bread of life. Um, Matthew 4.4 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Anybody know this? but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And what is the word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord? The word of God. So we pray for the spiritual bread to nourish us. And Jesus said, as I, as I said earlier, John 6, uh, 51, he says that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this, this prayer, again, is, is utterly dependent upon our, our physical needs for God to provide, but also for our spiritual needs that the Lord our Father would provide. And what is greater? Our physical needs or our spiritual needs? Now, I can tell you what, what it feels like sometimes. It feels like those physical needs are, are greater. 
But the thing that we need the most is the bread of life. To know and to want Jesus more. By making this this prayer daily is, is to see God's name hallowed, right? It's because we're asking God to give us what we need. We're asking God to give us what we need each and every day. And when we say that, God, will you meet my need spiritually and physically, we are saying, God, you are my sole provider. I mean, nothing else. I depend upon you and you only. So asking God to, to, to give us is not abdicating your role to go out and work either. Some people have used that. I don't have to work. If I, I just pray and God will, will meet my needs. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that even in your work, as the Lord provides, we are still dependent. Because he's the giver of our work. He's the giver of our skills. He's our, the giver of our abilities. He's the giver of our energy so that we can work. Praying this prayer also says that we are not, that we are not self-sufficient. That we are not self-sufficient. So there's this measure of humility in actually admitting to the Lord that we are dependent. Now we're all blessed. There's, there's not one of us in this room that is not blessed. And, and, and hearing y'all's prayers throughout the years, you, you recognize the amount of blessing the Lord has placed upon your life. And that is good for us to hear us pray and thank God for the blessings that we have. Yet, yet, no matter how poor you may think that you are, you, you still live a more affluent and luxurious life than kings did 200 years ago, or probably even 100 years ago. You live more comfortably. You live better. You live, you live more um, in, indulged, in a sense, than people did 200 years ago, than kings did 200 years ago. You eat better. You sleep better. Everything is better. So here's what I'm saying. With, with everything that we have, with this affluence that we have, there's this temptation for us to be dependent upon our affluence than to be dependent upon the Lord. So once again, we see the Bible telling us that, warning, warning, wealth can be a danger. Your affluence can be a danger. In, in, in Proverbs, the, 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 the writer of the Proverbs said this in Proverbs chapter 30. Listen to what he says here in regards to this. He says, two things I ask you, praying to the Lord, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Lest I be poor, and steal, and profane the name of God. He's basically saying this. He's basically praying, give me each day my daily bread, isn't he? But he says, God, don't, don't give me too much, because if I have too much, I'm going to forget you. I'm going to forget that, that these gifts are given to me by you. I'm going to deny the glory of God. I'm not going to hallow your name. I'm going to think it's about me. But he also says, Lord, give me enough. G give me enough or I'm going to go out and steal. 
again, denying the glory of God and his provision. So we see how in our affluence that, that it, is, it is a blessing, but it can quickly become a curse. Make that part of your prayer. And, and knowing this, this proverb, this wisdom warning, the Lord give me enough to hallow your name and not too much or I deny your name and defame your name. So may the Lord give us grace to see that all of our stuff, our full pantries and freezers and closets and garages and sheds, may he grant us the grace to see our desperate need for him in his provision every day. Y'all heard every word of that. She's got to go potty, so if she goes, it's on me. Well, not literally. (laughs) Praying. (laughs) Yeah, so praying this makes us desire the Lord, desire his gifts. Um, We're never going to want our our daily bread more when we when we pray this this prayer this is what we're saying it says that we're we're never going to want our daily bread more than you because we're coming to you and we're acknowledging that you are the giver of our daily bread and if we had to choose between you and our daily bread we would give up that bread every time is that your heart if if, if not or if that's a struggle for you, I commend to you the prayer of Habakkuk. He said this, he said, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yield and the fruit field, yeah, the fields yield no fruit food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer, like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And if you're writing that down, that's Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Make that your prayer. But not only are we dependent upon bread from the Lord, the physical and spiritual bread, but secondly, we are dependent upon his forgiveness. We are dependent upon his forgiveness. And you see that in in verse 4. I mean, just very plain, right? It makes it very obvious on what's being said here. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So just like asking for our daily bread, there is this present active tense usage of the, of the language here to help express to us that this isn't just a one-time deal. This is an ongoing approach before the Lord, a, a daily approach before the Lord and the daily approach before each other. So vertically and horizontally. It's, it's ongoing approach but between the two. There's this, there's this constant need of, of God's grace and being forgiven and being asked uh, of forgiveness. So, once again, there's something very obvious here about Jesus giving us this request. What he's saying here, number one, number one, it wasn't for him. But what Jesus is telling us here is he's acknowledging to us that it's okay as a sinner to come to God. You see that? I mean, it's okay. You're, you're a sinner. 
Jesus is like, I got that. I know you boys. I know you. You're a sinner. But you still can come to the Lord. And so, isn't that good news? I mean, it's wonderful news. Think about it. He doesn't just, he doesn't teach us to, to pray like this and then never mention the brokenness and the, the shattered, distorted mirrors of our lives uh, um, uh, and, and, or even the very, very fact that none of us has arrived. But he wholeheartedly just admits it. Yeah, this is your condition, and, and the Lord's made a way for that. The Lord is kind. My Father is forgiving and kind. So, so come and, and pray. Ask for forgiveness over and over. And, and, and what the disciples don't see yet, and what we can see, is that's the point of the cross. The point of the cross is that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. Though my sins are many... His mercy is more. Something unavoidable, though, also in this text. And something that we also see throughout the New Testament. And this is going to come, this is going to sound maybe a little harsh. And, and, and that is, is that if we pray this prayer of forgiveness, and yet with ourselves have an unforgiving heart, then I think what we're actually doing is we're asking God not to forgive us. If we come to God, asking Him to forgive us of our sins, but yet we are harboring unforgiveness in our own hearts. The New Testament shows us, and I think what this passage teaches, including with Matthew 6, the other Lord's Prayer, is that we're actually asking God not to forgive us. You, you remember the parable of the wicked servant? Who, who wanted, his, wanted forgiveness of his debt to his master, he owed millions of dollars, a, a debt that he could never pay, a debt that he could never, ever, if he worked a thousand lifetimes, could never achieve. And the master heard his plea and his cry, and he forgave him of his debt. But soon after, this newly forgiven man goes outside, and he sees a dude who owes him 50 bucks, and he beats him. I want my 50. The master hears about it. You know what happens to him. He gets thrown in jail. Why is that? It's despite what we think that we need forgiveness if we have an unforgiving heart. It's us asking the Lord not to forgive us. Puritan Thomas Watson said, A man can go as well to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Let me read that again. A man can as well go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. Believers forgive and are forgiving. But that doesn't mean we're not going to wrestle with it. That doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be pleading to the Lord for a lot of grace and a lot of mercy and a lot of help and a lot of pictures of the cross. In the gospel. So as we forgive those who are indebted to us, there's this, there's this immense trust then that we have to give to God, isn't there? I mean, there's this immense trust that we have to, we have to give to God if we're going to be able to forgive those who have who are indebted to us. Because it's, it's about His glory. It's about His hallowedness. And truly, if we really trust that He is God. 
You know, if, if, he's, if, if God is not really God, then, then when someone trespasses against us or sins against us, then, then we've got to handle it. Right? Then, it's, then it's in my court. I've got to take care of things. I've got to get my own justice. But if He is God, then He is going to handle it. And I don't have to handle it. We can forgive and trust the Lord because He is God. You know, there's, there are a few things more miserable than someone who expects everyone to give them grace and mercy but refuse to give anyone else. And that was what the parable shows, doesn't it? I mean, just a miserable dude who's expecting grace and mercy and yet gives none. And, and I don't mean that they're miserable just to everyone else because sometimes they are, but I mean they're miserable to themselves. And the reason why they're miserable to themselves is because there's this bitterness of sin that's taken root in their hearts. We are dependent on God's forgiveness. And we're dependent upon extending forgiveness. Forgiveness from the Lord and forgiveness for each other. And the importance of forgiving cannot be overstated. It's for the, the health of our own souls. Bitterness destroys and, and kills our spiritual health, our, our physical health, our church health. So we forgive for the sake of our own souls, but also for the health of the church. Unforgiveness and bitterness destroys health. I mean, not just spiritual health, absolutely. But doesn't it destroy physical health? It puts people in the grave. It destroys the church. It destroys unity in the church because it's an absolute denial of the gospel that the church says it believes. It's a Jesus issue. We forgive also for the sake of the world. You know, this is the kind of grace-giving that is a part of the gospel culture that we want here at Sovereign Grace. That within our relationships in the church, there's this gospel culture where you can feel and see Jesus just kind of oozing out of everyone. There's this kindness and grace and love and serving and forgiveness. And, and that is something that the world, especially right now where there's just so much anger, just doesn't have. Angry about everything. That's the kind of culture that the gospel creates. And, and I believe that there are people out there who have been beaten up in churches and from the world because of these very things. And God has brought us together to be that kind of culture for them, for our city. And what we've heard even a couple of weeks ago that we can for the world. We are dependent for forgiveness. But lastly, we are dependent for deliverance. Not the movie. We are dependent on deliverance. Deliverance from sin. You see that at the end of verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. Let's just kind of throw this out there real quick, that this does not mean that God is the one who tempts us to sin. That God is not the one who tempts us to sin. James 1.13 clearly says it, and so this isn't a, a prayer where we just kind of ask God to cool it for a day. Nope, that's not the case. What this prayer is about, it's about the reality that even as Christians, 
it should come to any surprise, that even as Christians, we are still tempted to sin. And we, we still feel that even from within us, that we know is, has been regenerated and is still being transformed and still being made new, that there's still something really broken in us that still entices us to do wicked things that we still even enjoy sometimes. And as Christians, we, we pray this. We are admitting to the Lord that this is who I still am, Lord. And, and yet, by the way, God knows that. That's why he tells us to pray this. So don't, don't think he's going to be surprised and, and kind of kick you out because you sinned again. The cross is finished. It's more than enough. So it's acknowledging that there's still an enemy. There's still an external enemy and Satan that's still trying to kill us and entice us with sin and draw us away from our Savior. But here's something also. I think that this prayer also is in acknowledging that sometimes it's the Lord himself. Doesn't sound contradictory. He's the one who tests us. If you remember, when Jesus was led into the wilderness, who was he led by? The Holy Spirit. And yet it was Satan who tempted him. Sometimes the Lord leads us into the wilderness for refinement, for testing, for purging, for exposing of, of sin and the idolatry that sometimes still exists there that maybe we, didn't, we couldn't see until that temptation and trial came in our life. But the difference is, is God's test isn't designed to kill you. It's not designed to, to destroy you. It's designed and brought into our lives so that we would be more dependent upon Him. That is, Jesus once again said to, said to the evil one, we quoted early, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. We depend upon His promises and His sustaining grace. So this prayer, like all these others, is still about Jesus and our dependence upon Him. And so the reality, I think, of this prayer is, is it's, just, it's just saying, help me. And in times of temptation or temptation that you know is going to come, it's just, help me. There's, there's no confusion here. Like, you don't need me really to interpret this for you. It's, help me, help me, God, help me, Father. Even the righteous man is tempted. Even the righteous man is tempted. And and the good news, again, is that sinners can approach God and ask for forgiveness. Men and women who are still drawn out and have the desire to do unrighteous things, those who haven't experienced the victory over those things, we still can come to the Lord and we can say, Father, help me. Help me. Lead me not into temptation. Only you can protect me. Only you can guide me. Only you can, can cover me. That's a prayer of dependence that all sinners like me, like you, need to pray more. We're all capable of falling. We're all capable to be given into sin. So it's an awareness of our weakness and our vulnerability, and yet then our dependence upon the Lord, who is our strong tower and our refuge that we go running into. You know, the strongest of all Christians 
will always admit that they cannot stand outside of the grace of God. Find a strong believer, a mature brother or sister in Christ, and they will always admit to you by God's grace alone. You know, he's also answered this prayer for us too. Now we should continue to pray, but he's also answered this prayer. In Ephesians 6, he tells us to put on the armor of God. To put on the armor of God, the, the, the whole armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, which is not our righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. We're clothed in His righteousness, not our own. The truth of the knowledge of the gospel, the, the helmet of, of salvation, the, the shield of faith. Faith in Christ. The readiness of our, our feet, you know, putting on the boots of the gospel of peace. And he's given us the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Right? He's given us the, whole, the sword and the word of God, and he's also given us the Holy Spirit. Right? He's answered this prayer for us in a sense, because he's, he's guiding us through the Holy Spirit to be equipped and ready for everything that may come our way every single day. So we put on these things to help us in our times of temptation. But also, as Ephesians says, early, even earlier, is he's given us each other. The answer, even in that prayer, is. The, the, the means of grace that God has given us when we are tempted is each other. Brother, I need prayer. I'm tempted in these ways. As um, another pastor, I don't know, but I listen to occasionally, he said about sins that we drag it into the light. Drag sin into the light that so wants to be in the darkness. Like, it's like cockroaches. I hate to use that term because that's terrible, but, but cockroaches exist in the dark, don't they? Well, that's what sin wants. Sin doesn't want to come to the light. Drag that thing kicking and screaming into the light. Confess it to a brother or sister and ask them to pray for you. Ask them to continually pray for you. Tell them when you are tempting. Acknowledge your sin. This is acknowledging the grace that God has already given us. But yet it's also the grace that we still need when we're facing temptation. A couple implications real quick and then we're going to wrap it up. Actually, just two. We're dependent. We, we need the Lord. We, and we're all in that boat. We're all in that condition. And so we, we all exist in this state of, of poverty, of, of neediness of, from the Lord, no matter who we are. This high-level maturity of Christians and this low-down new believer, we're all in the same poverty and the same need and the same dependence of the Lord. But doesn't prayer, this, these prayers for ourselves and for our needs and, and forgiveness, doesn't it teach us to be generous? Doesn't it teach us to, to, be, to be generous? Look at the, the corporate nature of each and every one of these prayers. Forgive us. Lead us. Right? Forgive us. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. We're not the center of the universe. But it's about each other. And, and sometimes the Lord may give us 
the bread that we are to give to someone else. And we give to those in our church and those who may be in need. Sometimes the Lord uses His, and I say sometimes, often, the Lord uses His people, us, each other, to be that, that loving provision of His kind hand as a father on His children from each other. Where we can be generous to each other physically in our physical needs, but whether that, whatever that may be, but generous also spiritually, praying for one another, being with one another, generous in our forgiveness and kindness and, and, and grace. Again, with, with all the anger and hatred and vilification within our country today, wouldn't it be amazing, amazing if we created a climate within this church? And I think the Lord's doing that, by the way. I'm not just saying it because we're not there, but the Lord's doing this. And our miss, I, I, I can see it. I can kind of take temperature of what's going on, that the Lord's creating a climate that, that we would be deeply loving and caring for everyone else, for each other, even when we don't deserve it. I mean, I, I know, I, I don't have to love you because I don't, you, sometimes you don't deserve it, and I know I don't, but yet I do, and I do because I see how the Lord has loved me. I see how the, the Father has called me His Son, and I see you as his son. And so I, I love you as a, my brother. See how that works? Or my, my sister. I see we, that's how gospel culture works. And that's what we cultivating and seeing cultivated, extended here. Loving and giving grace and being merciful to one another. Generously extending it to others who don't deserve it. And we're all there. But also... It moves us to help others who are tempted. We give them grace. We give them mercy. We encourage them with the scripture. We disciple them. We walk that long road with them if necessary. And again, gospel culture frees us up to be the people, the God's people to people who are tempted with sin. Secondly, just second implication. Be content with the Lord's gifts and the Lord's blessings, but be discontent in pursuing His righteousness. Be, be content with basically with what you have, but be discontent with pursuing righteousness and holiness. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. See that? Godliness and contentment. Godliness, holiness, righteousness, right? But contentment in life. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O oh man of God, flee from these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. Right? That's exactly, that's exactly what, I, what I was saying in my point. 
be, be content with what the Lord has you. Now, that doesn't mean you, you can't have ambition to, to, to do better and do something better in your, your life for, for work or, or career or, or education or whatever that may be. Absolutely per, pursue those things, but that's not the end goal. That's not the, the underlying point. The underlying point is God's glory. For God to be magnified in those things. But what I want and desire even more than my daily bread is the Lord and His righteousness. And yet what has sin, in a sense, done to us? Sin has made us discontent with our stuff, our cars, our homes, our jobs, families sometimes, friends. The things that we don't have, those are the things that are always blaring, right? Blinking, bling, bling. This is what you don't have. And yet we've been content with little spiritual growth. I've seen those ebbs and flows in my life. Yet the scripture says off the opposite. How then can we be obedient in this pray, the Lord's prayer, as he has told us to pray? Pray to your Father. Pray for His name to be hallowed in His kingdom. Not your kingdom, not your stuff, not your prosperity. Pray for what you need. Pray that the the bread that God gives you physically and spiritually will sustain you and will be all about bringing great delight in Christ and for His glory. Pray for forgiveness that you always be ready and fit to be used as instruments of grace in His kingdom. And pray that the Lord would lead you not into temptation because it is your desire to be holy and righteous. We have a God, a Father who loves us, who gives us what we need, who forgives us of our sins, and even still, knowing that we are sinners, that we still sin, will still deliver us from temptation, and is still forgiving us. He loves you where you are, But He loves us to not let you stay there. The Gospel always moves us. Does that move you to trust and pray to your Father? Again, prayer is hard. Prayer is work. Work, right? We shudder at sometimes. (laughs) But it's in these prayers is when God cracks open our hearts so that we would see Him. It's, it's when God's power comes down right in the center of, of our real need. Like we, we Sometimes we come in with these perceived needs, but it's where His grace comes in and gets us right at our, our, our real need. So what could be more strategic for our lives than to pray? Real Christianity has always been dependent upon the prayer and the word and the grace of God and never upon this world. Real Christianity has never been uh, uh, dependent upon this world, but totally reliant on what comes from above. So if we are praying as dependent as we really are, then we have all the breakthrough power we need we have a chance daily, daily to have a front row seat to the things that God can do. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. To you be the glory and for our joy. Amen.